Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. Happy Friday, everyone. Hope you've got a fun, relaxing weekend ahead. But before we kick back, we've got to get caught up on all the news that happened this week. Governor Pritzker's sparring partner made a visit to Illinois. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis traveled here for a speech in support of police. Mayor Lightfoot made her final case to Southside voters. Any vote, any vote coming on the side side for somebody not named Lightfoot is a vote for Chewy Garcia or Paul Vell. That's it. Polls show a challenger currently leading the mayor's race. A new independent poll by M3 Strategies that shows Paul Vallis leading the nine candidates at 32%. And as always, we've got a great panel of local journalists here to break down all the big stories. With us is Jacoby Cochran, host of CityCast Chicago, a daily podcast and newsletter. Rachel Hinton, enterprise reporter for the Illinois Answers Project from the Better Government Association. And Tiffany Walden, co-founder and editor-in-chief of The Tribe. Great to have all of you. All right, there's a lot of politics news to get to. We're going to dive into the Chicago mayor's race and the latest polling. But first, Jacoby, we've got to get your take on a non-politics story that blindsided a lot of Chicago TV fans. HBO Max is canceling Southside. Now, the show won't be renewed for a fourth season. And as the person who had the honor of hosting Southside's season three premiere event at DuSable less than three months ago, I'm crushed. I mean, I'm right there with you. So many of us were in the building for that, right? Yeah. Tiffany and I got to talk right before, and, like, the energy in that room was palpable, right? You could hear how excited people were for this show. And since it premiered in 2019, its future was always, you know, we always sort of held it close to our heart, like, are we going to get another one of these? So when it went off Comedy Central, we was like, mm, what's going to happen? Then it went to HBO Max. Then they took two episodes off for season three. And so it started to feel like, I mean, how long are we going to be able to protect this gym? And, you know, when you talk to Sotan, who plays Simon, when you talk to Bashir, who plays Officer Goodnight, when you talk to Diallo, who plays uh, Alderman Alan Gale, you know, the fictional alder person of the 51st Ward, you see how important this show is to them to the point that their families are in this show. People like Chandra Russell, right? right. Um, You know, their, their little sister is in the show. Their mom has made cameos in the show. And so... To watch something that was genuinely funny, that had genuine Chicago cameos that you'd see actors who you've seen in audition rooms and on stages across Chicago represented, it, you know, you didn't laugh at every, you may not have laughed at every single joke, but it still felt right. authentically Chicago. And I'm, I'm heartbroken this week at the dingy HBO Max. <laughs> <laughs> dingy. Rachel, what did you make of that news? I was surprised. Um, I had to check several Twitter feeds. I was on Instagram. I was like, is this true? Like, is this some sort of joke? Um, I would just, I would echo everything Jacoby just said. Yeah. Um, I did hold it close to my heart. It was one of those things where you're like, is there going to be another season? Or like every episode, you know, as you said, like you may not laugh at every joke, but there are certain jokes that stick in your your mind. Oh, Um, for sure. Like there's one episode where I think Officer Turner says something like, you know, I'm not here to beat any of you up today or something like that. Or like like frostings. Like we all just greeted each other with that. And all of her her wig changes. Like I just like sitting there. That was classy. What kind of of wig is she going to come up with now? Um, So I'm really going to miss it. I hope it lands somewhere else. It it sounds like, you know, the creators 
are looking for somewhere else to, to go with it, mm-hmm. to, to take it somewhere else. And I really hope that uh, that they're able to do that because it's it's a great moment of levity. It's 30 minutes that I, I look forward to. I'm like, where's the new episode? You yeah. know, you just sit back, you relax, you watch something funny that, you know, has inside jokes that you get or, like, your family gets, but other people may not get. It's like an inside yeah. joke or, like, exactly. an inside thing very close to her. Well, you know, and, and Tiffany, the show, as we've said, is praised so much for its humor, so much for its authenticity. Mm-hmm. What do we lose when a show like this get, gets canceled? We lose a, a piece of Chicago being represented in the mainstream media. I mean, it's one of the only shows that felt like authentically and universally Chicago. I'm always repping the west side of Chicago um, wherever I go. And even though the show is called Southside, even though it was based on the South Side, it was filmed on the South Side, it still felt like a universally Chicago show. Like yeah. I, I, I interviewed them when uh, this season came out and uh, Diallo said, like, what's really crazy is after we shot that episode, the first the season premiere, like, my car got towed. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So we, like, bonded over that because I can't even, uh, my car has gotten towed so many times. For sure. <laughs> like, being a creative, your car is going to get towed. So um, it's just sad that we lose that piece of us and we yeah. lose um, something that we can all really bond over in Chicago and that other people can see Chicago in a different light, too, instead of just looking at crime all the time. Our right. friend on YouTube, Dale Shytown, says, going to really miss Southside, one of the best Chicago shows ever, a real Chicago show. And, and before we move on, Jacoby CityCast... You started a petition to save the show. Are you hopeful that Southside can get picked oh, up? I didn't know that was your yeah. position. Yes. yes. They just they want to keep the momentum. I saw the, it in the, the newsletter the this morning. The team wants to keep the momentum behind the creators who want to find a new home. Because remember, it's not just the joy we feel, right? This was jobs for actors. When I saw Renee Lockett, who plays Dorothy Brown, and I would go up to her and say how much I loved her wild portrayal of this activist, right? That that line about Coretta Scott Steele just staying, <laughs> right? The prize she had, right? When I went up to Ron O'Connor, who plays Bluto, who needed to let them them locks go at oh. one point, right? Or was was teaching swimming, like the the pride Ronald had on his face, and and I seen few of these 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 extras, the people who play side characters and B characters, and you saw how much they loved it, how much they went, uh, you know, got loud in that that premiere room mm-hmm. when they popped up or they saw their friends pop up. Can, can, I, can, can, I, can I add to that, too? Yes. Um, after that premiere, we went to uh, the party at Soho House, and when I tell you, the it's such a tight-knit family. Mm-hmm. Everybody was in there. Everybody was happy to see each other. Everybody was just partying and celebrating with each other. There was no, like, oh, I'm a celebrity. Don't touch me. Don't talk to me. Like, it was so yeah. family-friendly and open, Love and uh, I, I hate that we're going to lose that. Love that vibe. We got a question, actually, from from YouTube from Carrie Shoda, who wants to know, will HBO Max keep existing seasons of Southside on the platform? Because I need to catch up. Yeah, I have no That's idea. The, Carrie, the way I they handle so. that is, is always I mean, the seasons are miss. still there, right? They are. You can still see them all They're on, still there on now, Max. but how long? For how long? Uh, we don't know. Maybe Regal Mile Studios, the new studio coming to uh, the South Shore, can can help out. Knock on wood, he says. <laughs> we'll see. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're breaking down the biggest stories of the week with a panel of wonderful Chicago journalists: Jacoby Cochran of CityCast Chicago, Rachel Hinton from the Illinois Answers Project, and Tiffany Walden with the Tribe. Don't forget, you can watch our news recap live on WBEZ's Facebook and YouTube pages. Also, you can leave comments or questions. Talk to us in that YouTube chat box, and I may just say what you have to say about the stories 
on air. All right, shifting gears. Another big story this week, folks. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis visited West Suburban Elmhurst. This was part of a tour that was aimed at showing that he's pro-police. He talked to a crowd of about 200 people at the event that was promoted by the Chicago Fraternal Order of Police. Here's a little bit of what he had to say. The reason why you have crime that is spiraled out of control in so many of these different areas is because you have politicians putting woke ideology ahead of public safety. Woke ideology. Rachel, he went on to uh, compare the crime rate of Chicago to the entire state of Florida. Yeah, that's a pretty uh, large comparison. Um, I, I mean, I think that this his speech in Elmhurst has to be taken into like consideration in terms of like 2024. I think he's really trying to position himself as a potential presidential candidate, potentially as someone who can get votes away from Donald Trump. It seems like, you know, the Republican Party is maybe tired of Donald Trump. I don't know. We'll have to see what 2024 brings. Um, but my publication, Manny Ramos, who works at Illinois Answers Project, uh, fact-checked that and found that actually the crime rates, um, one, you shouldn't compare a whole state to Chicago to or To one County. city? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the other is that um, actually, like, for, like, certain crimes reported, so there were 403 violent crimes reported per 100,000 people here in Illinois, which is less than the 484 crimes reported per 100,000 people in Florida. Um, and not only that, but there were some other claim that DeSantis made that um, Chicago has cut its its police budget, uh, and it hasn't. It's actually increased it from 2020 to present. Um, mm-hmm. Same with Aurora, same with Joliet, uh, same with the Illinois State Police. So he's kind of wrong across the board. In an unrelated news conference, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker shot back at DeSantis and his use of the word woke. He doesn't even know what the word means, and he has no definition of it. It's just anything he doesn't like is wokeism. So, Jacoby, is this a a possible preview of what's to come in this 2024 presidential election? Oh, for sure. We've already seen it. Even I think if you look at the gubernatorial race uh, between uh, Darren Bailey and Governor Pritzker, right, it really comes down to these sort of these competing ideologies and who can get the most terms off. And so if you want to know what the, the front runner for the GOP in 2024 looks like, you can look right at Ron DeSantis, right? Somebody who in Florida who has cut access to abortion, right? Who has passed the don't say gay legislation, has passed anti-trans legislation, wants to cut Obamacare, who doesn't believe in uh, gun control, who is pro-police state. And he's the front runner. And so it, it you know, whether you're looking at Darren Bailey, whether you look at Ron DeSantis, the GOP, whether they're tired of Trump or not, they've sort of made their bed. Right. This is where they will fall. And what ends up happening is, you know, people, individuals on the left, folks like Governor Pritzker, end up just playing the defense, you know, rather than sort of getting in the battle of, you know, hashtags and, and sort of really bastardizing terminology. I think mm. he should just continue to show how his policies stand in contrast uh, to, to people like DeSantis. Yeah. Governor DeSantis, let's be clear, he hasn't announced a run for president just yet. Chicago was his third stop after visiting New York and Philadelphia. So it is possible that this tour is part of an early testing of the waters, maybe as far as national viability. What do you think, Tiffany? I think so. And um, Illinois is a really interesting place when you put it into the larger landscape of the country. We are um, pro-abortion and people are coming here to uh, maintain, you know, abortion rights and women's rights. Um, we are a state that's also pushing the Safety Act. We have a progressive prosecutor who's a black woman in office right now. Um, so there's so many things that Illinois has that um, is so 
anti what the Republican agenda is, that this is very much a place that they feel like they need to come to set up ground and try to, um, you know, win votes here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Governor Pritzker said he plans on serving a full second term as uh, Illinois governor. Do you think he would still or could still make a run for the White House? I think we're all waiting to see what uh, President Joe Biden's going to do. Uh, if Biden decides not to run, then I think, yeah, we could totally see Pritzker, um, the uh, what Governor Newsom out in California and others jump into the race. But yeah, I think, sure. you know, they want to be respectful. They don't want to uh, jump over a sitting president uh, for that potential role. But I, I mean, I think that Pritzker already has some ducks in a row. Um, you know, s several people on his team have, have run uh, campaigns at national levels. Um, and so I, I think that, you know, he's going to amass that kind of think tank, that that big mm -hmm. brain, um, the brain group uh, to help him run for, for president, should he decide to. And Tiffany, as I mentioned, the, the event uh, that DeSantis spoke at, it was promoted by the Chicago FOP, right? So sticking with the police beat for a, a bit, in a committee hearing earlier this week, city council members they grilled Chicago police officials over their handling of two officers with ties to far-right groups. That's one officer, uh, Robert Bacher, who was uh, given a 120-day suspension after an investigation into his ties to the Proud Boys. And CPD Superintendent David Brown said he would show zero tolerance for officers that are involved in hate groups. Any thoughts on, on what's going on with that process? Uh, it, to me, it's still it's just egregious that we're even still having this conversation and that the officer is still allowed to maintain and, and keep his role in the police department. Um, you know, we have all of these uh, leaders who are pushing against that. A lot of them have um, progressive ideology and trying to get um, this person out of uh, the police department. So I, I really hope that at some point uh, we see some progress with that because. Yeah, there's there should be no room for um, extremism, especially right wing extremism in the police department. Well, to that end, Chicago police right now, they're urging Jewish and other religious communities to be extra vigilant this weekend. This is after a neo-Nazi group in neighboring Iowa declared tomorrow is a National Day of Hate. Officials are saying so far there's no known threats at this point, but still, uh, Jacoby, it's coming at a time when anti, uh, you know, anti-Semitic hate, it's risen to really historic levels in this state and across the country, really. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not trying to make this a laughing matter, but that is a weak name. National Day, Day of, of hate. hate. I mean, like this is who we are. We just hate people and we don't actually want to explain why we just don't like them. Uh, but honestly, it puts the Chicago Police Department, you know, constantly in another position of hypocrisy to look at a group of people and to say, you know, protect yourselves, be vigilant, and then to look at members on your force and to say that what is connections to extremist groups worth? 120 days mm. and you can come back in the same ways that people have been allowed to shoot and kill uh, innocent civilians and, you know, sometimes just retire and keep their pension and not face any uh, charges. And so... You know, as someone who does not put my faith largely in the carceral state or in the police system, uh, I find them neither capable to make people feel protected against a sort of national day of hate in the same way I find them incapable of policing themselves. Because if you look at the type of individuals, you know, they're bringing to come speak at the FOP. Well, these are largely people who have ideologies, even if they won't say it themselves, that are aligned with people in right wing extremist groups, even if they want to claim that those members are the fringe. Yeah. Or they, they still on your side of the aisle. And so they're your people in some respects. And it doesn't seem like you're willing to hold them accountable. And so, you know, these warnings or, or this, you know, promise for protection of these communities uh, feels hollow. Because even I mean, think about it, too. The leader of the FOP 
Canton Zara, um, he's he's expressed sentiments that are anti-black this entire time. You know, he threatened to expel officers for supporting the movement for black lives. He blamed the victims like Laquan McDonald for their own, uh, you know, murders. So this is the person that's leading the FOP. This Mm -hmm. is the voice of the police department. And like you said, that says a lot. And the person running against him isn't that much different. He just, Mm -hmm. like they will say, has better communication tact. I don't care how you tell me. Uh, you know, you I'm make me. to my right. face. If that's how you feel, <laughs> the message is that's the same. how you feel. Yeah. Right. We'll pause there. That's Jacoby Cochran of CityCast Chicago, Rachel Hinton from the Illinois Answers Project, and Tiffany Walden with The Tribe. Back now with more Reset and more of the weekly news recap. We're now just days away from Chicago's municipal election. There's the mayor's race and a ton of city council races. But let's start with the mayor's race. Lori Lightfoot says this race is down to her and Paul Vallis. The other candidates, they don't agree. What do you think, Tiffany? If, if we believe polling in here, if we are a group of people that trust the polls um, right now, Paul Vallis is leading the race. Um, I think the most recent poll actually had Brandon Johnson coming in in second. So we have a lot of uh, interesting momentum happening right now around the Brandon Johnson campaign on my Instagram uh, feeds. I'm seeing people hosting uh, the house parties that he's having. They're hosting him for different Q&As and different events. Um, I think Eve Ewing and them just put on like a really cool one mm-hmm. uh, the other day uh, with a really big Brandon Johnson kind of like poster head and things Young like was that. In the building. Anjanette Young was in the building. Oh, so, right. so yeah, there's a lot of momentum happening around Brandon right now. And um, so the most exciting thing to me is seeing um, that change from it being Vallis and Lightfoot or Vallis and Chewy to seeing uh, Vallis and Brandon Johnson up there. It's it's very interesting. Yeah. Your thoughts, Jacoby? I mean, I've been watching, as all of you have since, uh, you know, individuals started throwing their name in a hat. And it, it really has sort of segmented itself between these sort of four front-running candidates and the other five who, no disrespect to them, but, I mean, largely this campaign uh, season has been uninspiring, unmoving, and very cumbersome. Uh, but to listen to the mayor who, you know, incumbents are usually do have the front run. She is leading in terms of how much money she's brought in. I think the last I saw was, you know, just south of $6 million, um, you mm-hmm. know, does have some major uh, money coming in from owners of the Chicago Fire and the family that owns the Chicago Cubs, but... I don't know if she got her ear to the streets like the rest of us because it it does not feel like a lock. And so, you know, even a couple of weeks ago when she was telling people not to vote if they're not going to support I know she's since walked it back. (laughs) Well, yeah, I want to talk about that. But she did say vote. Vote and then vote often or something. Right. Was that? Was <laughs> the gaps along so, the so way. So everyone is clear what you're referring to. I mean, she she got criticism. What, what she said was any vote from the South Side that's not for her is for Paul Vallis or Congressman Chewy Garcia. Then she said that she misspoke. What do you think about that, Rachel? I don't. I think she said the quiet part out loud. I guess. Um, <laughs> I think that she wants. She she's trying to get another term. I mean, uh-huh. I, I know that she knows that it's an uphill battle. Um, you know, if if we're to believe the polling, she's in trouble. Um, so I think that she's doing everything she can to convince people, anybody she can, to to come out and vote for her and don't vote for someone else. Or you might get somebody who, you know, she calls a Republican or an empty suit or any of the other names she has for uh, her competitors. Um, I mean, I think, you know, uh, early voting turnout has been really high. I think mm-hmm. 158,000 people have mm-hmm. voted so far. I think that's double or triple the amount of people who came out in 2019. 
um, that could be good for the incumbent. But looking at a breakdown, someone I, I saw on Twitter did like a a map, a city of map, uh, showing where all those early votes have come from. And it looks like some south side, some like, you know, typically like pro-police people, northwest side southwest, as well. Northwest, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and that so could spell scattered. trouble for her. Yeah, not a lot of people on the lakefront. Um, I think also we have to consider like who is a Lightfoot voter. I mean, I think she's still figuring that out as well. Um, I'll be curious to see, you know, after the election, who turned out for her, um, especially, you know, if it's tight between the, the top two vote getters yeah. and if she's one of them. I mean, there's a very real chance that she may not be. We've mentioned yeah. polling a few times, a new poll by M3 Strategies. It shows Paul Vallis is widening his lead. Uh, so we've got Vallis at 32 percent, followed by Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson at 18 uh, percent. They're followed by Lori Lightfoot at 13.6 percent and Chewy Garcia at 11.6 how much stock do we put in polls, Tiffany? I mean, I don't put a whole lot into stocks. Lot. <laughs> I mean, into, uh, into we've polls, seen all kind of but, numbers. This yeah, we've season. seen all kind of numbers depending on who does the poll. It's an internal uh, poll. It's an external poll. You know, there's so many factors that go into it. But the one thing that does seem to be consistent across the board is seeing a movement um, of branding kind of moving up into the number two, number three mm-hmm. spot. Um, Ballas across the board has really been the front runner in all the polls. Um, Lightfoot and Chewy have kind of, you know, bounced in and out of that top three. Um, so that's been really interesting to see, and I think it's consistent across the board. Yeah, and, and speak, sticking with Vallis for for a moment here, um, this poll in particular that I just mentioned is showing him in the lead, but he's also facing some heat right now, Rachel, for his Twitter account. <laughs> yeah. What'd he do? Um <laughs> Someone, not him, he says, uh, liked, okay. uh, I believe, racist tweets, uh, tweets going after or making fun of Lightfoot. One called her Larry Lightfoot. Another called her the gnome on the fifth floor. Uh, he has tried to distance himself from that, saying, like, it wasn't me. Like, you know, I'm shocked by this. I, I would never do something like this. Um, but it is, like, at Paul Vallis. Uh, I believe that that's the Twitter handle. Mm. Um, so a lot of questions about that. About <laughs> if, it, if it wasn't you, who did, like, these tweets? Right. Um, I, I think he said maybe he was going to look into it or his campaign was going to look into it. But uh, the no one knows yet. It's still a mystery. See what it wouldn't find. be election season if candidates didn't throw people under the bus, right? Isn't that yeah. what... Is that uh, the even, name of the game here in yeah, Chicago? This is my first one. You tell like, me. Even <laughs> Mayor Lori Lifer, when the email oh. scandal broke, was just like, this was one overzealous staffer. And I just always... It was like yeah. 9,000 right. emails. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I always picture like a scene really from Veep when they just walk in and they're just like, uh... You're going to have to, somebody's head has got to roll and it's going to be yours. Uh, yeah. And yeah. so, you know, just sort of watching, again, this entire election season, watching people sort of play the defense. I just want to echo what Tiffany was saying. As each candidate has tried to stand out uh, in some form or fashion, the, the Paul Vallis criticism end up, honestly, when you think about who is a Paul Vallis voter, they might like some of those things, right? Yeah, they do. Right. You don't actually, maybe you don't actually live in the city, right? Yeah. You are clearly okay with getting the endorsement of, of the uh, problematic FOP, right? You're okay with getting most of your financing from like big investment. These might be things that they enjoy, uh, very similar to the momentum we see with, with Brandon Johnson, who is the only candidate who's sitting down across people like, you know, one of the tribe contributors, Bella Boz, who's sitting down with folks like Ergo and the Hoodwazee, people who ask some really difficult questions. Uh, and so Even Inglewood Barbie, too. Right, he was out on the street, Inglewood Barbie, passing out um, food to individuals experiencing houselessness. And so, mm. you know, what does that mean for his chances? I'm not sure, but it, it's definitely been the most inspiring. Well, Tiffany, let, let's stick with Johnson for, for a minute. He once said it was a political goal to defund the police. 
but he hasn't been so clear about it during this campaign. Do you think that that will affect how he does with progressive voters? That's something that we'll have to see um, because, you know, in watching him during the debates, he does straddle the line and, and, and being very careful about how he has that conversation. And I think that that's a part of a, that's his strategy. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, uh, as we've seen, if, if candidates, if people come out and um, explicitly, you know, say defund the police, defund this, defund that, you see the backlash that you get. I mean, us even posting a Paul Vallis story about his son um, being a police officer in San Antonio and killing a black man. Um, we got hella, 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 um, excuse my French, um, backlash from that and trolls and bots and all of these people. And so um, I feel like it's a strategy to not give people something to fully attack you on. Um, and he's just playing the straight and narrow game of just trying to get to the runoff. Yeah. Let's talk about that. If no candidate gets 50 percent of the votes and at this point it, not looking very likely, uh, the top two contenders are going to head to a runoff election in April. What is interesting, though, is that we might not know who the two contenders are even on election night, right? This is depending on how close the votes are and how the tallying goes. Have you ever seen a race quite like this, Jacoby? Honestly, I felt like this race was, as much as I said, it was like a lot to take in. I feel like the last one was equally, if not more, uh, you know, sort of crucial because you had an incumbent choosing to leave. And so you were guaranteed to have a new new mayor. And you had a a lot of people come out. And then by the end of it, to get into the runoff, you needed somewhere between like, 14 and 16 percent. And so, again, when when you say things like who is a a Lori Life of voter, knowing Chicago's system, you kind of had an opportunity to play this like a midterm and a general and to go as hard for your 16 or 17 percent and carve out. And by not being able, you know, things that you have to admit, Paul Vallis, he knows his base. He plays to them. He knows his issue. He plays to them. They're not my issues. It's not my base, but but he plays them. Brandon Johnson knows his issues and knows his base and plays to them. If you listen to him on on Ergo Radio, he openly talks about the the strategy of not using certain uh, language because he doesn't want it to get caught up in sort of a hashtag mm-hmm. uh, war. He he talks about how he wants to go back to the hoodie and a blazer, but when you when you talk about life, who is trying to cast this sort of why net across the city and say I can be your mayor? Mm-hmm. In that the message has become muddled, and and you do wonder. Who is this getting through to? And likely it's the people who are fatigued and only know name recognition and don't Mm -hmm. want to look up eight other people. Yeah, because the thing with like Paul Vallis even, and I was just talking to a friend of mine the other day who really didn't even, was just like, couldn't somebody like Paul Vallis get in office after reading about critical his thoughts on critical race theory was mm-hmm. like he, he can't win here in Chicago that won't fly but there I, I think there are like 100, 110,000 people or 115,000 people that voted for Darren Bailey in 2022 so that's the crowd he's going after those are the people who also voted for Trump so there is a pathway for Paul Vallis to get in there and he knows that and that's who he's going after those mm-hmm. are his voters but yeah Lightfoot I'm not really sure exactly at this point who her voters are Lightfoot made history becoming the first black woman to become mayor of Chicago the first openly gay mayor as well if she fails to make this runoff though she's also going to make history as the first mayor running for re-election to do so right to not win how likely do you think that is Rachel I mean, I think it's a possibility. Um, just as we're not believing in polls, I don't know that we should believe it's a sure thing that the incumbent makes the runoff. Um, I mean, I think that that's what we're all waiting to see. I mean, we've all seen the stories. I mean, I feel like every day or every other day there's a new story out about, like, will she or won't she make the runoff? 
you know, that's fun. It's fun to speculate about because we haven't been in a position like this before, or at least not recently. But I, I mean, I think we also have to think about long term. What is this? What is her uh, tenure as mayor mean? Is, is it going to be like another Jane Byrne situation where we don't see another black woman or another black person as mayor, just as we didn't see another like white woman as mayor or another woman as mayor until we got Lightfoot? I mean, I think we have to think about it also in like a historic context. Like what what does this mean and, and where will we go from here? What lessons did we learn? Um, and I, I'm sure, you know. Uh, March 1st, all those stories will come out, both Sun-Times, WBZ, everybody else will be vying to analyze what it means. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We're on it. All right, <laughs> let's let's move on to the aldermanic races where there are a lot of open seats, about a third of the council after massive turnover. Earlier this week, we actually talked about what the future of the council could look like. We had Joe Ferguson on, the, the city's former watchdog, and he was inspector general under three different mayors. So we were curious to hear what he had to say about this. And Here's a bit of what he had to say about a potential sea change coming to City Hall. Also, this loss of institutional knowledge. My finding is is that the people who are most um, engaged on process and policy are the junior tenured alders. And there is a generational shift that's going on. And if you actually look across the, the, the 16 altogether who took an oath in May of 2019, who will not take an oath of May in 2020, of 2023, mm-hmm. Um, it's mostly longer tenured alders, and it's that young generation that actually really has dug in. Any thoughts on that, Jacoby? Honestly, the new school coming in, mm-hmm. potentially? I mean, I, I've been watching this uh, race, particularly because in my ward, I already know that I'm going to have to vote for a new person because my alder person is, is, is running for mayor. Um, I think what's really interesting here, I just had a conversation this morning with Will Howe from— um, the Institute for Effective Government over at the University of Chicago. Hopefully I didn't butcher that name. Uh, And we're at a place where we're really trying to consider how much power does our city council have? What do we want our city council to look like moving forward? And there really is an opportunity for a younger, more progressive uh, crop of individuals to come in and to what ability they're able to unite to sort of really uh, dictate the trajectory. Because you do have a lot of people who are running unopposed. Uh, and so yeah. there, there is a chance that especially after what we saw in this last cycle, that we end up with an even more contentious city council, more parliamentary moves. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see how it plays out. Yeah. Uh, I... Will Howells from the, the Center for Effective Government. There it is. Just so we Thank get that. you. Yeah, go ahead, Rachel. Um, this city council has been more independent. Uh, Life it has had more like divisive votes. Like, uh, And, and typically, um, I, I think, not typically, but more often than not, or on some of the bigger issues, has either settled for the 26 votes needed to, like, move forward or has, like, made some compromises, maybe changed, like, bill language or something to, like, get an initiative passed. And I I do think that that is because the younger people, like what Joe Joe Ferguson was saying, Mm -hmm. and now there's, I think, 12 or 13 aldermen who are, you know, either retiring or running for mayor or whatever. And so I think that that allows... I think it's more than that. It's more like 16 or 17. Wow. (laughs) We we were trying to get the number right earlier this week, and we were like, let's just not say the number. (laughs) (laughs) More more than a dozen. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, that, that leaves... Uh, an opportunity for even more, you know, contention, like what Jacoby was saying, but also like, you know, we could see greater blocks, greater, like a greater progressive block. We could see more socialists on the council. Like, I I think that that's kind of what it's trending toward, Mm -hmm. potentially. Several candidates Lightfoot appointed to council running uh, for a full term. Alder people like Nicole Lee in the South Side's 11th Ward, Monique Scott in the West Side's 24th Ward, Timmy Knudsen in the North Side's 43rd Ward, 
seems like they're trying to uh, explain their uh, in, um, independence from her mm-hmm. to get voters. What do you think their ties to Lightfoot mean for the aldermanic races, Jacoby? I mean, just ask them, including Annabella Barker, uh, recently appointed in the 12th Ward on the southwest side. They do not think it's a strength because if they did, they would be out here and say, look, the mayor of our city thought I was the person who should lead this war into the future. And every single one of them, I believe all of them have been endorsed by the mayor uh, herself, but they themselves have not. I talked to Nicole Lee maybe three weeks after she was initially appointed um, to lead the 11th war, which was for a very long time, the sort of the daily stronghold. And even then, Nicole was already, I was like, are you going to support the mayor? Are you down with the mayor? And she was already like, you know, I'm going to evaluate the field <laughs> and see what happens and move forward and has secured the endorsement of the the previous, previous, right. previous, previous mayor. Right. Uh, and so I, I think it, the sort of the writings on the wall there, they don't believe that it's a, sort of a smart move for their campaign. Um, and, you know, I, I think the, the mayor has to feel a way about that. You, you couldn't not. Right. You have to. I mean, she lost Pat Dow. Mm-hmm. That was huge. That was a huge, huge, huge loss. Um, and Sophia King, uh, auto woman Sophia King, at every chance she gets at every debate, uh, says that there's tension within City Hall and that Lightfoot is a part of that tension. She and that's does, why yeah. so many people are leaving. I, I sometimes feel that Sophia King is in the race to tell everyone that. <laughs> <laughs> the inside uh, scoop. Yeah. And so, you know, I think this is a really interesting time and we're going to see... Um, a really interesting shift. One of our reporters, Tonya Hill, wrote a story a while ago about, um, you know, is it time for the Chicago Automatic Black Caucus to even push a little bit more left? Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of, I think it's six maybe, and again, numbers may change, but there's like six uh, black alders who are uh, leaving city council. And so we're even going to have some conversations there as a black community about, you know, what do we want out of our uh, leaders and what do we want to see improve in our wards? All right, back now with top stories from this week. We talked about key races in Chicago's municipal election. Let's now zoom in on key issues among voters. Jacoby, CityCast Chicago recently went to a ballot party hosted by the tribe. What issues came up for voters who showed up there? First and foremost, if you are not familiar with the tribe, uh, get get hip, right? <laughs> follow them on Instagram, follow them on Twitter. Yes. Make sure you're linked into the website. And if you got some money, donate. They just pulled my yearly uh, money out of my pocket, which, you know. Thank I, you, thank you. I needed it. I looked down, I was like, where did that, where that money go? No. Uh, <laughs> but one of the things the tribe does so well is getting directly connected to the community, bringing people out to events, polling people. The, the municipal election coverage has been extensive, and it's always been centered on what are the issues to people. And when we listen Listen to people in the city. Some of the number one issues are transportation. It's not just CTA, though. It's also about improved bike lanes. It's Mm. about sort of investing in a more walkable, friendly neighborhoods. People want to talk about public safety. That's not just more or less police, though, right? That's investing in not so-called root causes, but the root causes of this problem, which is disinvestment, right? Which is shuttering schools, which is uh, pulling the social safety net from up under people. Uh, People want to make sure that their community has the resources that makes them thrive, whether it's grocery stores or small businesses. People want more livable neighborhoods. Um, And and so I know Tiffany can speak closer to to what some of these issues are, and I do believe— That we, we've centered in on some of the big ones, right? Public safety, transportation, even crime in there, because I don't think mm-hmm. public safety and crime are synonymous. Um, but, but listening to people, most people 
just want to feel like they're being heard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are readers of the tribe talking about, Tiffany? So today, actually, we just published a new story. Um, it's centered on the Chicago Automatic Black Caucus, but it really applies to uh, wards all over the city. But just holding our older people accountable and trying to figure out, you know, how have they voted to represent us over the past, um, you know, several years. And when you really take a look into Black Chicago specifically, we used to be like a, a, a powerhouse, like a political and a business powerhouse. I, I think by 1980, um we were like 40 percent of the population. There were like 1.2 million black people living here today. We're only we're under 29 percent of the population. Uh, so so many things have happened. Right. We're still struggling under continued this this uh, uh, divestment. Like on the West Side, the poverty rates for household for by household is like 40 percent in North Lawndale. Um, add into that. Um, that we're disproportionately impacted by the criminal legal system. We're spending millions and millions and millions of dollars incarcerating people on the West Side. And one zip code in particular, 60644, which is on the West Side, 6,700 residents were convicted and sentenced to prison compared to just 311 in Oak Park. And that's right across the street from 60644. So these are some of the issues that that really plague our communities and that um, black uh, voters in particular care about and want to see change because uh, when we talk about public safety, like Jacoby said, it's bigger than just putting more police on the street. You know, we think police is the solution, but really, if Chicago has the most police per capita, we should already be the safest city in the world, right? right. <laughs> Rachel, anything else stand out to you as far as what voters are paying attention to? I, I guess the the new police district councils are a thing. I, yeah. I don't know that they're actually, um, I mean, I think people are paying attention to them, but also they're trying to figure out, like, what is this? What, what should people know about new... these new police <laughs> district councils? There's 22 districts. There's three people per council. Um, and their goal is to work with communities on issues surrounding policing, I believe. I don't know if it includes public safety, but I know for sure policing. And then those... People on those councils will nominate people to a citywide commission on policing and police issues. Um, and and so now, I mean, these are three typically new candidates that you're going to have to learn about. You have to background. The reader did. I think the reader in uh, uh, conjunction with the tribe did a police district council. Like, here's what you need to know. Here's mm-hmm. who's running. Here's what district you live in or like enter your address. We'll help you figure that out, which has been great. But I, I think that for some people that's maybe slid under the radar because you're focusing on the mayor's race, you're focusing on aldermanic uh, uh, races. But um, I I think the police district council, especially for people I know currently is the thing where it's like, oh, now this is, this is a new thing I have to figure out. Kind of like how judges are one of the things you have to figure out later in the election cycle, like for, for county races or something. And the police district races are so important to the point that the FOP is spending money, real money, backing uh, candidates in the uh, police district council races. So it's very important yeah. for people to you know who know who they're voting for. And if we those. want the, the definition from the city website, there are districts on increasing public safety and strengthening police oversight and accountability. Okay. So you were right on the money there. <laughs> um, so uh, moral of the story here, the tribe is on everything because Tiffany... <laughs> Early voter voter turnout, as we mentioned, it's high overall across the city, but y'all reported that's not necessarily the case in some wards on the south and the west sides. Tell yes, us more. Uh, we're going to be updating that on um, Tuesday morning 
as well. But from what we've looked at so far, I think uh, Rachel mentioned that there's 158 ballots, 58,000 ballots that have been cast so far, which is like twice as many as 2019. But at the same time, uh, a lot of those early votes are coming in from like the southwest side, which includes like Beverly um, from the northwest side um, where there's like O'Hare and, and some other neighborhoods that have a lot of uh, police um, residents and, and city employees. And so we can only assume who they're voting for wow. <laughs> based on what neighborhoods there are. But in the south and the west sides, you know, we still haven't seen like a really large turnout yeah. for early votes just yet. So I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that, you know, we're just people that's going to show up on the first day, I mean, on on Tuesday and, right. uh, and vote. But, you know, right now we really don't know. And if we taking that number, that 150,000 uh, talking about early votes and mail-ins, it's actually it's triple what we mm, saw in, in, 2015. in 2015 and 2019. Um, most polling places, too, they're not yet fully accessible for people with disabilities. Any other issues that we think might pop up for voters and for poll workers even on Election Day? I know there's always, uh, like, you need judges. Uh, I think mm-hmm. last last time around, um, you know, a lot of people called off or there were concerns around COVID. Um, so making sure that, like, people have the PPE that they need, um, it should, should they need it or want it at this stage in the pandemic. Um, I, I still think a lot of people are like, you know, public health emergency may be ending, but I want a mask or I want gloves. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that might be something. I think maybe polling places might be open late. Um, so you're going to need, you know, people there to like count ballots or, or make sure that the process runs smoothly. Um, I, I guess those are the main things that I would think of for Election Day stuff. All right, let's switch gears. Latest development in R. Kelly's two-decade legal saga. The R&B singer was sentenced to an additional year in prison by a federal judge in Illinois. He already faces 30 years. Where does this leave things, Tiffany? You know, it's really hard to say. Um, I haven't been following the R. Kelly uh, trial and and sentencing extensively, but I think it does bring some closure to a lot of um, the the women who, you know, had to experience this level of trauma. Um, And then I I do know, too, that there's still other women who are still hoping to receive some closure uh, from this trauma as well. And I, I just think that it, it, it closes. Hopefully we'll get to a point where this closes a chapter in Chicago where so many of us uh, growing up have heard these stories. We, we've known yep. people who have met R. Kelly at oh, the yeah. McDonald's, at the Rock and Roll McDonald's exactly. downtown. Like, yeah. you know, it's so much. it's been so much a part of our story here in Chicago that I hope we all at some point can get some closure. Yeah. Well, you know, Free R. Kelly was trending on Twitter at one point yesterday Jacoby, you, you think Chicago has this allegiance to hometown figures, including R. Kelly? I mean, I think I think every hometown probably goes harder for the people that came from there. And while I think there's a, you know, most of the people in my community and my circle have for decades kind of pushed back against this narrative that Chicago is complacent. We do have to, and I say we, I just say that as the sort of communal we because I grew up in the 90s as a child and I knew at 10 years old I knew the jokes the the punchlines that mm-hmm. this was being made whether it was on Dave Chappelle or Boondocks or even at a point in which at one point my stepfather uh, his parents lived in Olympia Fields and the home directly in front of the the mansion that R. Kelly lived in and there was this feeling when we go out there my mom would say to my sister don't go over there Say to my cousins, don't go over there. We don't go over there. We don't look in there. And so we must still hold wow. our, ourselves accountable as a city to know that 
a lot of people turned their heads when they watched him pull up to high school parking lots mm-hmm. and McDonald parking lots. A lot of people turned their heads when mm-hmm. people was going backstages mm-hmm. and he was showing up at, at house parties, right? It's and and that level of complacency we you can't just charge away. Yeah. You know, you can't just sort of throw that sort of behind bars and, and look away. Right. Uh, and so Interesting. W- w- while there is closure, w- I don't think any of us are sitting here and saying this is going to be a rehabilitative process mm-hmm. for R. Kelly or there's going to be any restorative justice for the women right. who, who had to be traumatized by his decades of unchecked pedophilia. Um, but, yeah. but my hope is that it, it provides something for these families. Well, I do have some other good news in music. To, to maybe lift the mood a little bit at the table. Rihanna is set to perform at the Oscars. She plans on singing her song, Lift Me Up. This is from Marvel's Black Panther. The song marks her first Oscar nomination. It's up for Best Original Song. Anybody excited? Rihanna always lifts my spirit anytime she <laughs> I mean, comes outside, anytime she says anything. She is the any it picture. girl, forever the it girl. <laughs> the, the Super Bowl at, at my apartment was like equally split between people who was trying to see the Chiefs and the Eagles run it up and people who was waiting <laughs> for the concert to start and wanted these men to stop CTEing each other on the field. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I think that speaks enough. This is one of the most watched events in our country. And the conversation going into it, while so much of it was on the historical nature of these black quarterbacks, very much fell into the arms of, we have not seen this this beautiful mother perform right. at any point in years. We haven't heard music, uh, but I'm I'm pretty sure people know. Like coming out of the Super Bowl, coming out of the Oscars, like you know, you better go throw anti back on. Right, <laughs> yeah. because yeah. that was as, our uh, pre Super Bowl. Yeah. 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 This this all means that we're not getting an album anytime no soon. Nope. nope, no new Rihanna. And it's music. fine. We're not gonna pressure her. Mm-hmm. You know, she's a new mother. She's expecting. She she's expecting mother. mother. Like she uh. can do whatever she wants. You know, I'm fine with it. Let's stop pressuring her. Let's just for let's now. Just let we, her breathe. we just look forward to this performance. Yep. And and we wish her well. Enjoy <laughs> this the old nomination. The people gonna take what they can give because. The conversation before the Super Bowl is, I do not want to hear. Literally, <laughs> right, I just want the right. classics. And now they like, said that on this Come program. On. Right. People are going to learn all the lyrics And now before. I'm like, yes, Rihanna, absolutely. <laughs> Fantastic. I love this song. But no, seriously, we are really proud of her. And, you know, we wish her all the best. This episode of Reset was produced by Stephanie Kim, and it was edited by Andrew Merriweather and Meha Ahmed. Catch every weekly news recap by subscribing to our podcast, or give us a follow on YouTube if you prefer to watch. We stream live from YouTube every Friday at noon, and you can watch it there afterwards as well. That's a wrap for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Have a great weekend. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.